What's up, people? This is episode 26 of Sports Debate Tuesday. Check it out. We got a whole bunch of things to talk about. Charles Barkley's quote last week, the AVP was in Long Beach, the first of a three-weekend series. Uh, but first, let's hit my music. Episode 26 starts right now. Oh, I got to stay in the singing mood because this is episode 26 and I got to give the people, <laughs> give the people what they want. <laughs> Rob McLean, what's good, baby? How you doing, man? Oh, we getting right. That's what, That's how we doing. We getting right. <laughs> Whole lot to talk about. You know, we got a good, uh, good, some good segments, a good idea, a bad idea. We got our sports movie, sports movie recommendation of the week to watch at home. Uh, but first things first, let's talk about our wheelhouse, Rob McLean. Let's talk about the AVP. The AVP decided to have a three-weekend stretch where they had something called the Monster Hydro Cup, AVP Championship Cup Series. And this week, um, the winners, of course, um, I mean the finals, um, Phil Dahlhauser, Nick Lucena, and of course, uh, I believe... Um, I keep doing um. <laughs> Alex Come Kleiman, on. April Ross, pretty good finals. Yeah, Strong that finish. was a good final. That was a good final. I watched that full one. Cool. Sure. Let's take a little. Let's let's check out a little clip. Nice little jump serve over there. Trevor on the on two. This is Trevor and Trevor born and try uh, try born and Trevor Crab, and look at Nick finishing hard, man. That was awesome, dude. That was awesome. So, Rob McLean, this is the question. Um, what surprised you about this AVC, AVP series um, in terms of wins and losses or just the setup or maybe the, uh, the fans? And what did not surprise you? Um, well, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at the way Phil, Phil looked. He looked totally rejuvenated. Uh, he looked like, you know, a player of old, maybe like three, four years ago. Um, he looked like he was having fun. He was jump serving easy, you know, running up, even though he might not have needed it. It was just kind of part of the game. And I think that's a really important part is just, he can be a float server, but that jump serve is just, whew. um, and he knows what to do with it. I think that's another thing. Like you don't have to hit the hardest jump serve. Nah, serve the space. Just jump serving, just perfectly. Like picking the right ch the spots, the right times. You know, easy blocks. It was just great to see old vintage uh, Dahlhauser. Um, what I didn't like, uh, I mean, I, I no. What didn't was, what um, what didn't surprise you? What I, didn't surprise me? I mean, I guess I, I, I'm not going to say it was a bad level, but uh, no one kind of stood out. I think uh, it was just kind of, you know, it was a lot of team play. It wasn't a lot of like individual highlight performances. So you kind of, it kind of showed like who was a, a much stronger team chemistry because you haven't really played in, in any high level matches in a long time. So you're kind of just relying on a lot of the stuff you've been training and a lot of stuff that you're, um, uh, that you're trying to get better on or trying to perfect, uh, or if you're just trying to get back and touch the ball. So, um, it just, you know, it was just kind of didn't surprise me. You know, it was just very, you know, regular average tournament. Everybody kind of finished in the places they're kind of going to finish in with the matchups they matched up against. And um, I didn't think there was any too crazy upsets or anything like that. So, yeah, it was, you know, pretty, All right, well, you know, well, average AVP. 
Yeah. Well, Rob, here's here's what surprised me. What surprised me is um, the chemistry of that um, Wilkerson, Brandy Wilkerson, and Sarah Hughes had together. They were very, they were two very very good players, but for a while, I mean, and and they looked like they for a long time they looked like they were doing all the right things on the court, but something didn't click. And 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 when I say something didn't click, I'm I'm talking about the net result. I'm not I'm not a bottom line guy all the time, but the question is, are you winning these matches? Or are you losing these matches? And they found themselves they found themselves losing a lot of matches that we thought, um, if you look at pound for pound. Like like a tail of the tape thing, like Brandy touches her toes and then touches the clouds. She's she's the best five ten blocker, which I don't think she's five ten. I think that's pretty ridiculous because they have she's Sarah Hughes listed at five ten. And I mean, just you look at them standing together, nonsense, absolute nonsense. So the the thing that surprised me is uh, how well their chemistry clicked instantly. And all, all of their wins were straight up. Some people catch a break in here and this and that. And they were pretty much... Let's just say they were a slew of mistakes away from actually having that, that finals go to the third set. You're up 2016. You're up 2016. Brandy Wilkerson. Brandy got Brandy knows she got to put away that ball. You know, she ran a back set. Which were, oh, what are you running a back set for? I'm like, dude, it's advanced volleyball, okay? Stop stop talking to me about, uh, like some old dude. Oh, oh, that's a fancy play. Don't get to run no fancy plays. That's not a fancy play. It's a, it's a freaking back set. She ran a back set. She had her wrist away. She, 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 she had line. It was There wasn't anyone within seven or eight feet of it, and it's either in or out, and she missed. And it's one of those things where she, when she missed that, I said... Ooh, did they call a timeout now or did they wait 19 where, you know, maybe there's too much heat. But And a lot of the European teams, you know, we follow FIVB. Usually, I mean, I mean, once they get the side out, they call a timeout, <laughs> you know, because they, they, they got three points and they got that cushion. And, and they, they, they subsequently lost that match 24-22. And then and pretty much like uh, my wife Kelly and I were watching and we were like, dude, they, yeah. If they were going to win one, if they're going to win this match, they had to win that first set because you can't, when it comes to Alex Kleiman and April Ross, um, to me, they're the champs. And if you swing at the champs, you best not miss. <laughs> that, that's how that goes. That's what surprised me. Just just their chemistry leading all the way up to that. And, and then um, what didn't surprise me, I guess, is what you said, uh, um, how people finish. Like try, try, try born Trevor Crabb do significantly better on the international scene than they do on a domestic scene. And I don't know what's going on in the muscles between their ears that makes them, you know, compete with Maul and Sorum and take matches away from Staryanovsky and Karishnikov and, 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 yeah, and you're laying golden eggs against people on the domestic scene. But I mean, the ball ahead. can make a big difference, you know. Yeah. The ball can make a – they don't have – you know, it neutralizes a lot of jump serves, mm -hmm. you know, where the AVP ball, even still, it's like you can still get kind of a good rip on it. You know, the, the FIVB is like – it's just a little different, you know. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of a fanboy. I mean, I respect all the players, and if you could do something – you know, and, and do something well, I respect it. Like Phil, you know, that commands that respect. Kerry Walton's not even in the AVP, commands that respect. But there are very few people I'm like, I think I want to follow and watch all of their matches. Trevor Crabb has been that guy. I'm just like, my goodness. This man, too, I don't know what journey that's going on in his head that makes him play here. And then here, and then he's up, up again. He's down a little bit, but he's up again. But he's raised his level uh, uh, on just... Uh, just confidence. He sees it, he reacts, he attacks. Like last year and the year before, you saw some moments of hesitancy, you know? Uh, um, uh, I mean, go 
Manhattan Beach before he won with uh, Reed Pretty. A couple of years, he had Phil and Nick first set, and, and it was his time, and it slipped through his fingers, you know? And then the same thing happened a year later to his brother, Taylor. So what didn't surprise me is some of these matches, um, you're right, they're just not, there's, it's not, there wasn't something that moved the needle for me. There, was, there were these matches where either you saw four people going through the motions because maybe they didn't have a, you know, that, I mean, it's, it, it's, it looked like a beginning of the season thing. It looks like something you would see before Huntington. You know, right. and then by the time July comes, everybody's amped up. But it looked like either some of the matches, I'm like, either all four competitors are, are, are won it. They're, they, they're out there and they won it. Or all four are just, I don't know. You know, it's, it, was, it was weird. Like, when you see Phil and Nick play uh, Patterson and Brunner, normally you want to see that match, right? Then you see the first five plays and you're like, Okay, I already know how this match is going to go. So I'm not saying they were boring. They're not boring. Volleyball is not right. a, a boring sport. Right. So, you know, I, I just want to make sure the people listening don't make that a logical leap. Oh, Jason said they're boring. Oh, they're not interested people. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I think they either know each other so well that it looks like they're going through the motions. And anyone that watches this sport, you watch six plays and you're like, you already know who's going to win the match. So, Rob, t t I guess what, what I'm trying to say is they have to um, – uh, um, I'm not saying do your homework. I'm just saying they, uh, these these matchups where style makes matchups, they have to do something in, in order to beat Phil and Nick, in order to beat Taylor and Jake, which right now, if you had eight tournaments, you almost can – and if you bet money – that that one of those two teams were going to be in the finals you're going to cash in all the time okay and you're not it's not like you're going to cash in on heavy odds right because i'm not <laughs> gee jason you really went out on a limb to say taylor crab and jay gibb or phil and nick were going to be in the finals Ooh, predictive validity kicks ass oh no so um yeah i i'd like to see them do things a little bit more unpredictable and that has to me i'm just gonna call it like it is because i'm sitting here uh wussy footing around it uh, that has a lot to do with coaching and preparation and that has a lot to do with knowing your opponent okay like i said before um if you know taylor likes likes to show to whip his body their wrist away that's one of his vintage shots scout it Throw up, throw up a four block, you know, wait, scout it out. See what happens. If you know, like John Mayer, you know, uh, if you remember John Mayer and serve receive, he was um, a little right shoulder weak. So like anyone that served his right shoulder, constant pressure, maybe not the first serve, first result, you know, constant pressure. That was their way of, of, of getting him out, out of system enough where they could play defense against him. So right. um, that's a, sadly, that's what didn't surprise me. The, 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 the setup, um, First class, Jeff Conover. Last I sent him a text, told him you're the Dana White. <laughs> told him you're the Dana White of the AVPs, like sometimes, I guess, you know. Uh, Donaldson, you know, has been I've been one of his biggest critics. Uh, the setup looked really nice. Go ahead, Rob. No, yeah, I was going to say, I'd have to agree, though, with, like, I'm watching the finals, and then, uh, you know, Phil, I mean, I know he's a great player. I know anybody's a great player, but you got Jay Gibb at the net, and he doesn't jump four, five, six times in a row. And the guy options right over his head. You know, I don't, I don't get how it's not even a study at that point. It's like, why aren't you jumping with the option? You know, or why aren't you at least going towards the option? Like, that's where I don't, I don't understand. Like, you have the European level is getting 
exponentially better only because and the only reason we're getting better in the American level is because we're trying to compete with the European level. But the only reason they're getting better is because they're continually playing against not only each other and bettering their skills, but like they're playing the highest competition possible. They don't come back to their own local tournaments and try to play and beat up on regular teams and bring down their level. Like I know it's difficult for Americans because there's not many tournaments in America, but you know that's really where the highest level of volleyball is. So, you know, you know, it's nice to see volleyball over here in the ABP, but you know, on the international levels, you know, we got like one, two teams. There's a lot of countries with five, six teams in the top, you know, 50. You know, so. Um, another thing that surprised me, Rob, is. Uh, Miles Evans and Ricardo, they were the top seed in the qualifier. And um, the way for the people listening at home, the uh, the way this is set up was there were six teams in the draw for each gender. And uh, uh, the, there were two teams had to qualify, that making a total of eight. And then from the eight teams, you know, in the draw, double elimination style. You know, you bang that out in two days, you know, um, slow horse, which is great because... Uh, Everyone gets to watch every match, right? Everyone's kind of a winner on that one. And the the one thing that surprised me was Miles and Ricardo not qualifying. I thought I thought um, you know what I mean? I thought I thought they would be if there's a shoe if there was if there is such thing as, as a shoe in the qualify. I thought they had a better chance than anybody else. I was I mean it's a tough qualifier, man. I don't I would not put anybody to shoe in against anybody in that qualifier. I don't care who it is. I mean. I love Ricardo, but the man is getting older every year, you know, and at his age, old means something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very much experience, but I mean, hey, he's not, he's not really diving for balls. He's not really moving outside of his zone to go and pick up a, you know, so it's, it's more of like a, a read game. Um, and if teams kind of, you know, feel comfortable against that, again, it's not really about anything that is, if you beat them 21-16, you beat them 21-19, you beat them, right? So it's like, even if it's close, if that person feels comfortable all game and you didn't really change the dynamics of that game, you know, that's the, it is what it is, you know? So that's the effect. You could have a tough jump serve, but you serve right in the chest every time. You, had, you take off, you know, 10, 20% of that jump serve, you put it in the right spot big difference so it's like yeah uber big yeah. difference dude yeah i, I um yeah it, it was a hell of a qualifier you have you have multiple time avp champs right um and and an olympic gold medalist <laughs> in the qualifier um so yeah so any anything else any 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 um any any um, um qualifier surprises christy jones wasn't a surprise to me because i saw the like the momentum her and muno had last year and i'm like I was talking about Muno. We need to talk a little bit more about yeah. Chrissy Jones. I mean, let's just let's just talk about that. Like Chrissy Jones has been killing it. And I mean, for what was this like a year and a half now? She's looked nothing but unstoppable with not only her energy and her likability. Like she's a great person. You know, she's not yep. like a you know, uh, you know Stuck tough up. to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, wonderful person. I'm not saying that anybody should be touted because they look different but she does look different than everybody else and i she think that should piece. be celebrated uh, but yeah. in, in essence you know zana and i'm not saying she's not, not a great player you know very crisp real hard worker but like no offense 
defenders are a dime a dozen in in the Southern Cal area. I mean, even in women's volleyball, defenders are a dime a dozen. You have a great blocker, though. That's a difference maker. And and Chrissy Jones is not just a great blocker. She's a great teammate, which means a lot. She's a great, uh, a smart player, a really smart player. She is a great side-out player. She doesn't just use power. She uses shots and confidence. And, like, all these things matter, yet they're never talked about because her partner's that good. So, to me, it's just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't want to say anything of what I think it could be, but I think that Chrissy is a wonderful player, and I think that it depends on who she chooses to play with, but she'll always be in the top ten because she's a she's a really good blocker. She's a really good frontline player, and those don't come along every every you know ten years. She's going to be a phenomenal player for a long time, and I don't know why people aren't talking about her. I really don't look at yeah. what she. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, what does she have to do? Was. Win a gold medal? <laughs> who, who is this girl that she was playing with? And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but I don't really know her. In what were they in the top four in a small tournament? Or yeah. Top top six in a small small tournament. Yeah. Like, Cal- Callahan's the very player. best players. Like Callahan's I'm not saying Callahan's not good. No, I'm but, just saying like. Yeah. Then I guess you can pick up any blocker and get to the top four, right? Like I haven't heard her name anywhere so recently. So let's be honest. Like, what's the real? What's the real? Uh, X factor in that, so. No, no doubt. Yeah, man. Good, good. I'm so like, glad, and just, I'm so glad. It's so weird because she wasn't on our agenda to talk about, and, no. and that, and that's where we almost failed on that one. And I'm glad we had a chance to mention her. Yeah, like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait a second. Bomb. But Chrissy Jones, though. Yeah, but right, but Chrissy Jones, though. But Chrissy Jones. I yeah, mean, man. It just shows you how, like, easy or how different the game is for a player when you have somebody big and willing because she could probably play defense you know if she, she wanted to she yeah. could just you know she could but like the fact that she's willing to be that type of player like it's just so many great things about a player being able to play their position but also be willing to play that position and just dominate you know yeah no doubt i think for um for me like Chrissy Jones, the reason why I think she's able to just play everything. I don't, I don't just see sheer athleticism. I see intelligent moves. I see someone that looks like she can make in-game adjustments between sets and between timeouts. She's like, she, she'll play a couple of reps against someone. It's like, okay, I want to do this different because I think I'm going to score more points. I see this this highly, I don't just see this 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 dark-skinned, you know, high-jumping, intelligent, I, I mean, intimidating athlete. athlete. I see someone who's smart. Um, Cal Poly, getting edu- anytime you get an education there, you you know they they're not in the business of enlisting dumb people, right? Um, Todd Rogers, her, her her beach coach, you're not gonna get worse under that man's game. That man's a true. He's not just an Olympic gold medalist or just this great player that became a coach. He's one of the he's one of the select few people that um, that you know whose mental acumen uh, is on full display off the court just as much as it was on the court. So. Big up, Chrissy Jones. We did it, man. And now we could, let's close up shop with Chrissy Jones. All right, yeah. we close that. We close that door. We're gonna open our door to the NBA. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, but you know, um, for the sake of conversation and time frames, we wanted to make sure that we covered in, in full. And I bring your attention to Charles Barkley's quote. All right, Charles Barkley basically said, and this is in regards to the. Remember we were talking about the jerseys last week. He said yeah. this. All right, what's happening now is we're turning into a circus. 
Instead of talking about racial equality, racial justice, and economic justice, we spend all our time worrying about who's kneeling and not kneeling. What's being said on buses? What's being said on jerseys? I think we're missing a point. We need police reform, prison reform. Those are number one and number two things to focus on. We need the cops, good cops out there policing bad cops. And when we spend time focusing on what the jersey that's going to define, uh, that's that's going to defeat the purpose. My concern is this is turning it into a circus instead of trying to do some good stuff. Um, let's start with Charles Barkley. Your thoughts on his quote, and then do you agree or do you disagree? Okay. Um... Yeah, Charles, man. I mean, I definitely agree that the the thing that uh, I was talking about maybe a week or two ago is just about how there's a lot of mixed mixed messages or uh, you know fringe agreements or things that people are talking about outside the realm of possibility and putting it as like the main issue or the main problem and. Charles, absolutely right. These are the only two things that we're, we've been asking for f- since the very beginning, you know, that anybody should want to ask for, everybody should join along with since the very beginning. But yet, we've been given nothing but uh, appeasements, you know, like, I don't want, I don't, you know, I, I understand that we can change the Aunt Jemima bottle. I understand that, like, you know, the Washington Redskins name can go away. Like, I get that, but that wasn't really asked for. This is what's being asked for in this movement. And the fact that it's not being addressed, it's just being appeased on many different levels. It's just like we're not even at the table talking. That's what the issue is. You know, it's just like, oh, okay, it's like it's a big thing. Okay, well, we'll give you this. Oh, it's a big thing. We'll give you that. We don't need that. We don't need uh, names on the jerseys. It's, 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 I guess, an appropriate step. But an appropriate step really would be to handle police reform for the NBA to say, because 75% to 85% of our players happen to be in a, an environment where this actually affects them, we're going to stop business until, you know, this or that happens, or we're not going to accept this or that, or, you know, they're going to, they have power within their organization to, to be able to ch- make change. But yet, you know, we're being, they're being, they're giving away s- s- the, not even, not even crumbs from the pie. Not, we're not going to slice, like not even crumbs. Right. So it's like just the conversation needs to be had. You know, it's not we're not even having the conversation. We're being told, hey, have a little bit of this, have a little bit of that. But let's not go forward. You know, that's 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 where I think the real issue is coming forward. Like Mm -hmm. we got people, you know, do you want to talk or not? Because that's really the issue. It's like it's not that people aren't educated enough. Right. It's not that people don't have the means to do it. Right. So what is the actual issue? Like, let's bring it to reality. You know, and I think that's just, you know, it's frustration over time. Like, you just talk to people who can do things, who say they'll do things, and they don't do things. How, like, how would you act over time? You know, would you just be gracious to be in the presence of somebody who's going to lie in your face all the time? Or would you just ask them what the real truth is? Uh, you know? Yeah. Hey, I, I'm with you. And be, I guess before I, I, I say whether I agree or disagree, I think it's... Um, I think if you really, really delve into this, to, to Charles Barkley's diatribe, I think at no point was he saying that the Jersey thing was a bad idea. I don't think he would. I think I don't, I don't want people to get that message mixed. Uh, I think what he's saying is it shouldn't be um, such a big story where, like you said, it's about it's the bottom line. 
where you know i mean right now it's a week later and we're still talking about it it should be it's yeah it should be a story for a day cool all right players get to represent themselves they get to use the you know their their star power on a platform or or maybe their platform uh helps them with their star power and their bottom line um and it's one of those things that happens when you have a league that's driven by the players we both agree the nba out of all out of all of the major sports leagues if there's any league that's driven, that's player driven and not um, GM or owner driven, uh, um, I'm, at the end of the day, the owners win. I'm, I'm not trying to say that either. But if there's any league, any professional sports league that's driven by the players, where where the players can really, if you mess with them, they can mess with you. It's the NBA, more so than the NFL, more so than Major League Baseball, certainly more more so than the UFC. <laughs> you know that that's Dana. Okay, so. And definitely more so than the AVP, right? That's Donald's son. Uh, so as far as the players are concerned, I like the message, but I like what Charles is saying. Like, hey, this is fun, but let's remember why we're here. All right, let's remember, let's remember, let's remember what we're doing. Let's remember that symbolism is fine, but activism and another th- is, is a, a, not a completely other thing, but is more so. Let's remember that the, all these things, and like you said, all of these, you called them crumbs. Right. But let's say all of these things they're throwing at us. Let's let's acknowledge that these are good. Let's let's acknowledge that. OK, that's fine. But what are we really going to do? When are we really going to get started here? When are we really going to affect change? Is this right. is this the beginning or is this something to quell to quell the thirst for social justice? And so we can all get back to normal and, and everybody makes money. Um, and that's going to be the question. And I think that's what Charles Barkley's trying to say here. And that's where I wholeheartedly agree with his quote. Um, he has a way of saying controversial things. Because unlike some people in the last couple of weeks, I, I, I talked about people say things because of what's missing their, in their head as opposed to what's, what's, com- what's coming from their heart. No. Charles Barkley, everything that man says, whether you like it or not, it comes from his heart. He means it. And he'll say it again, and he's un- unapologetic. And I-, I don't agree with everything Charles says, but you gotta respect someone like that because, like you, in this world of fake people, in this world of yes men, and these people, in this world of where people smile on your face to just to appease you or whatever, so they can get on with their lives. Uh, um, that that dude is for real. That dude is more straight up and down than six o'clock. Okay, so um, and yeah, big up to Charles on that. Charles in charge. <laughs> Charles in charge. The round mound. Yeah. God, God, I love watching that guy play. Dude, I mean, he was an animal, you know? I mean, before, if there was never a Dennis Rodman, Mm -hmm. there was a Charles Barkley. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like people don't understand. Like, he had that same tenacity. It's just like Dennis Rodman was just like the worm. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like... I mean, there is just so many great characters in NBA history, you know. It's just, I mean, the glove, you know, the ice man, you know, like, it's just there's too many, man. It's just too many. So, man. Excellent. All right, cool, man. Hey, glad we wrapped that up in the NBA because there's some things that have to be said, right? And, and let's let's um let's shut the door at least for this episode but as far as social justice and what everybody's trying to do that door remains um unequivocally unequivocally open uh moving on to the nfl we're gonna have a little fun this week week rob we're not gonna talk about what's going on in training camp we're gonna we're not gonna argue whether they should cancel preseason let's we we're gonna we're we're we're, we're gonna do some escapism 
for our fans and our followers listening on iTunes, listening on their iPad or listening on Facebook Live. NFL, coach-driven league, more so than the GMs and only the owners uh, are, are more of a bottom line than, than who your coach is. In the NBA, if, a, if, if the choice between a player or a coach has to go, nine out of ten times it's going to be the coach, unless you're Popovich or unless you're Ryland, unless you have immunity. But in the NFL, the coaches rule the, 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 the gridiron with an iron hand, if you will. Very much like college. So, Rob, with that being said, you're going to go first. Who are your top five NFL coaches today? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm going to go from five to, to, to one, obviously. Five to one? Uh, okay. You know, just be, I mean, obviously, I think everybody knows who number one is, but I, just to save a little. Um, but my number five is Andy Reid. Um, and I take this because of his career. Um, I think that and, – and, and I'm just going to lay out my – kind of how I rank these coaches is I take I understand that there's different types of coaches I think Andy Reid is a phenomenal GM slash coach I think he does a great job a fantastic job drafting players to the system that he wants to run but for me coaching is about is that would be more of a GM role uh, coaching is more about the getting the most out of the players that you have and being successful with the with that you know, so that's the two sides of the coaching aspect that I'm taking it from. Um, so for me, Andy Reid, I think he's a phenomenal GM. I think that makes him that much better of a coach. But for me, with, with you know, having less and doing more with it, I, I don't put him necessarily in the top most category. But he's still a phenomenal coach, and I think he, he does great on both sides of the ball, which I think is far and beyond you know we don't have many of those coaches like that in the league where they can control really both sides of the ball um so yeah he's definitely my number five you know top today again that's because there are some new coaches who like my number four coach uh who i think has done a fantastic job at changing the the way of the, the league looks and not necessarily with a power run game but with a zone run game um both sides of the field three running backs back there, you know, just dicing up the field. And then when they need it, you got Jimmy G. You got the passing game. You can kind of dice them in and out. So for Are you me, talking about Shanahan? Yeah. I, I, Kyle really Shanahan. Like, I really like how, and you know, I was kind of a, a fanboy of the moment when Sean, uh, not Sean Payton, uh, when Sean McDermott, no, not Sean McDermott, Sean McVay, sorry, when Sean McVay came on the scene in L.A. Rams and they killed it that one season, Jared Goff came out of nowhere, dominated and I was like, man, that's crazy. You know, he, he reads plays and this and that. But you could see that next year when he kind of lost a lot of those offensive weapons that he his play calling isn't necessarily trans, transcending, right? It's more of a, a, he can react in a situation a lot faster, which is great at the highest level, but you still got to get there. So sorry to uh, break off. But, yeah, with Kyle Shanahan, I think he's done a fantastic job of bringing the game back to the fundamentals uh, especially on the offensive level, uh, at dominating on the run, you know, dominating on the run, but not necessarily with power. And that's only what you know the NFL really was known about for a very long time is that, you know, even power zones, but not just a multiple zone run where you're beating them by scheme as opposed to, you know, just overpowering a team. So Kyle Shanahan, number four quarter, uh, NFL coach for today. Uh, my number three is Mike Tom. I again when I'm when I'm putting a coach on a level, 
I think what have they been given as a coach through their career. And unfortunately, and people would say it's not unfortunate, but he's been stuck with Ben Roethlisberger his whole career. I get his first five years, Ben Roethlisberger was a stud, and I loved him just as much as anybody else. I really loved his quarterback style, kind of new, kind of hybrid, still kind of old school, uh, can't take me down, still going to throw at everything. But, you know, for the last five years, he's been, you know, injured, not there, a lot of money going towards him, and it's just not helpful towards the team as a whole. And I think he's been, he should have been retired about three years ago. And I think that's when the whole thing with Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell kind of blew up where they're not getting money. They're not getting paid. They're the ones that are really doing things for the team. And yet they're giving all this money to Ben Roethlisberger and you don't even get. So that's the player side of it. But what Mike Tomlin has always done has been a cog, you know, has been a very consistent cog in the system. Never breaks, never, except for that one time he tripped that dude. He's been clean slate. You know, uh, you're not gonna put that up. <laughs> you're not gonna put that up. <laughs> but he's been clean slate, and I mean, on off the football field, a black coach in Pittsburgh. You know, a black dominated city, which has been you know rife with uh, racial struggle, but yet he's been there. He's been with one of the original teams with uh, great ownership. Somehow, all they do is draft linebackers. Great, but. Yet he still wins football games. He still does well in that division. So for me, with a bad GM, you know, an okay ownership, but a fantastic coach, you know, Mike Thomas, my number three. Sorry, I'm taking so long, but I got to no, explain my reason. It's a podcast. Come on. What are you saying? Go ahead. So yeah. My number two and one are pretty uh, simple. A lot of people kind of under, would understand these. Uh, Sean Payton, my number two, and Bill Belichick, my number one. Um, and this, again, goes to. Uh, the full control of the uh, of, of a team, right? Bill Belichick, a defensive-minded man, but, uh, you know, Tom Brady has had very minimal weapons, to, had very minimal weapons to work with for his, you know, almost the last five, six years of his career. And, yes, it's a testament to him doing great, but it's also a testament to how they prepared during the week and how, you know, the Patriot way is about the situational way and understanding and being confident in yourself in the situation like just that whole error of Bill Belichick needs to be documented because there's just something special that he's made there that just you know all across all sports should be learned and understood. Um, I don't think maybe he's the best guy. I don't think he's maybe the you know the most uh, empathetic person. You know, but you know if you're talking about pure you know best coaches of today, you know pure geniuses of football and you know pure geniuses of manipulating people to do things that they didn't know they could do or, you know, making them understand the game of football better. Uh, Bill Belichick is absolutely the number one. And, you know, Sean Payton is just a genius, genius offensive mind. And, you know, I would love to see what he can do past the Bridgewater's uh, stage because look at what happened Drew with Reza. Teddy Bridgewater, you know. Yep. I know he's not on the team anymore, but it, it would just be very interesting on where they're going to go forward after Drew they were five and zero with Bridgewater, right? I five, think, six, something yeah, like five that. and zero yeah. with Bridgewater. Yep, 
Cool, man. I like your five, okay? And and um, mm. a little controversial picks on my part, but I got uh, because they're controversial, I got to give Sean Payton an honorable mention that did somehow, some way, did not make it into my top five. And I didn't do and, any and, of and a lot of <laughs> and a lot of it had to do with just just with the talent he has and and some of these some of these NFC Championship games and some of these games that 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 he as a coach. Um, let get away like Minnesota the Minnesota miracle got away the 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 um, the, the non-pass interference call really shouldn't have come to that he was they, they, they really just had the best team and though that has a lot to do with player mistakes and he, and the coaching staff in the NFL I mean they're probably like 10 or 11 coaches at the end of the day it's the head coach and you, you got to fall on that sword so so he drops down a little bit but at the same time if someone says Jason you're wrong he deserves, deserves to be in your top five um, I'm not going to argue but, but but the question is, who are my top five NFL coaches today? Which is why I don't have McVay. McVay was was a top five coach a year ago or a year and a half ago. Maybe. Could be a flash in the pan. Time will tell. Um, here's my number five, Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel's the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And talking about players that can do more with uh, more with less, uh, maximizing people's potential, um, not worrying about star power's feelings. If you were worrying about star power's feelings, there's no way that running back that they just gave a great, an awesome contract to would have gotten the start, would have, wouldn't have gotten more touches. Ended up just scorching the league and all the way to the NFC Championship game with Ryan Tannehill. And with a yeah. bend but don't break defense. There was a lot of whole of uh, the Patriot way thing that was consistent with the way that Mike Vrabel played for Belichick. And there's a, a whole lot of the Patriot way that is consistent with the way he's behaving and conducting his team as a head coach. Number four. You said it and I got to say it before. Andy Reid. Andy Reid is one of these guys that takes the quarterback no matter who he is and says, hey, we could do it this way and this way, and we're going to win a bunch of games, and we got a shot at going to the playoffs. Or we got a shot at going to the Super Bowl. Or we got a shot at winning the Super Bowl. He took Donovan McNabb. McNabb, a draft pick from Syracuse that Philly booed. <laughs> he got booed and got him to three NFC Championship games, or maybe four, and a Super Bowl appearance, thanks to Terrell Owens, too. I mean, got it. And, and, of course, the way Andy, Andy uh, Reid uh preaches or coaches offense defense and special teams and how to put it all together and i said damn imagine if he had a star quarterback imagine if he had a guy you know that that you know like jackson or like deshaun watson i said man if he if he had someone other than alex smith who by the way right 12 and 4 season with alex smith i mean come on i said imagine what he could do with a quarterback that's that many people consider really good guess what got Mahomes. That first year, Mahomes is league MVP. That second year, Mahomes is Super Bowl MVP. So make mine in the top five. Number four is Andy Reid. Number three, got to go with Kyle Shanahan. And I'm, a, and I'm saying this because I'm a prisoner of the moment because can't, can't, Shanahan, quite frankly, could go. I mean, I don't see it, but he could go out like Sean McVay. <laughs> but when you have a team and you preach a level of unselfishness where in the playoff game, you run 21 straight plays and your quarterback doesn't even throw the ball and you're scoring touchdowns and your defense is getting you back on the field, that is a win. That is every college and professional coach's wild dream. You're more, less likely you are you're less likely to fumble a ball on a carry than you are to as far as intercepting a ball and getting a tip drill, falling in, in the wrong hands, or throwing in completions and stopping the clock. Coaches like to hand off the ball because they can get first downs with a with with a, a, a two or three head monster type running back system like the Giants had, and 
At the same time, the clock keeps moving. Clock keeps moving. They still have possession. Next thing you know, it's nine minutes. You have possession and you score a touchdown at the end. Just takes the air out of everybody's sails. Big up to Jimmy G, who was highly criticized for not having a good, uh, uh, a high quarterback rating in these games. And I think people are missing the point. Oh, the guy can't throw. The guy can't throw. Yes, he can throw. He lit up the scoreboard against the Saints, and if memory serves me correctly, where that allowed him to uh, the, the Niners to be in a position where they could play Seattle for the top spot for the number one seed. I think 400 and something yards. Don't tell me that guy can't throw because the Saints have a stout defense. And as you and as you you can attest to because you have you have Peyton as your as your two coach or your one A. You, you know, they're they're prepared against quarterbacks like him and he lit them up anyway. So make mine Shanahan. Number two, got to give it to Mike Tomlin. If you look at Mike Tomlin's career and I just want to uh, start with the, the, the uh, last year alone, doesn't have a starting quarterback. Doesn't have a starting running back. Le'Veon Bell wound up with the Jets. Doesn't have um, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown went all over the place and eventually Everywhere. and eventually haywire, throwing furniture out of his hotel in Miami. Um, take your big three away. No name offense except for maybe Pouncey. No name defense except, except the front four is, is going to push the pile the Pittsburgh way. And his first day on the job, he's like, we're going to run the ball. We're going to play defense. And when he said that, everybody fell in love with this guy. This man has had good teams. This man has, has dealt with injuries. And at no time did he ever have a losing, losing season. His worst record was 8-8 eight and eight with, with basically nobody to coach. And I'm like, listen, I, if this guy can, can do an 8-8 eight eight season with this bunch, what coach is better than that? Well, I'll yeah. tell you what coach is better than that. My number one pick, Bill Belichick. This is a man who deliberately does more with less because he's cheap. He don't want to give nobody no money. Brady, just throw the ball. Brady, I'm going to undress you in front of all your players because this way they know they got to take it from me too. Talk about Ben, but don't break on defense. Talk about uh, a team that could potentially give up the most yards in the season, but at the same time, the least amount of touchdowns. That is the Belichick way. That is the Patriot way. The Patriot way was developed by Bill Belichick. The Patriot way, as a term, never didn't even exist until that man got there. All right? You think he only has six rings? Eh, wrong. He was a defensive coordinator for the New York Giants under Bill Parcells, and he has two more rings for him. And there's no doubt in, in my mind, and I speak with you on, I speak with for you on this one, Rob. The Giants don't win either one of those Super Bowls without Bill on Bill Parcells alone. I mean, not as not against the Bills. I mean, not. I mean, there's a lot of games there where you know, <laughs> yeah, there's not the greatest uh you know not like a tight game where it could have been a lot different in the game you know yeah or it was a blowout where it could have been a lot closer so do we do we do we give sean mcdermott some love too we know he ain't i mean he ain't hit no top five but but just the way he the way he he, he uh, his no nonsense attitude he's so professional and you know he treats the players like adults uh, uh buffalo uh, buffalo bills gotta yeah, give mcdermott yeah, I know, some I credit I man know, I, know. I gotta give him I a mean, shout out i'm biased <laughs> yeah, we can. Oh, the one guy I was going to say uh, uh, for an honorable mention was uh, John Harbaugh. And, you know, the reason why I don't have him necessarily on my top, you know, seven or eight even is really just because he's 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 more of a longevity coach to me. You know, and that's why it was funny that Joe Flacco ended up there because I feel like his, he's kind of like the same way. 
I love John Harbaugh, but I think he's not the difference maker, yeah. you know, and that's why we're talking about these coaches and being, you know, almost you can put them up there as being as 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 important as some of the best players on their team. You know, when it comes to a John Harbaugh, I feel like he's more of like a, you know, I don't know how to say it. He, he just tries to, you know, make it happen. You know, yeah. that's why I feel like a player like Lamar Jackson, you know, they had the opportunity to, you know, flourish in that system, whatever system they made from there. But in all honesty, if they had another quarterback there, he wouldn't have gotten the chance to do that. And I think that's just in the, in the fact that they, it was the, it was a necessity. It was a chance. Uh, they took a chance on him. It's great. But I think that's why it's not going to be very successful in, in, in later years because they're not going to evolve that system. Oh, 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 did you hear that? So I did. I heard. Did it. you hear that? You know what time it is? <laughs> what right. time is it? <laughs> it's time for <laughs> good idea, bad idea. Let's set this up. Rob McLean, good idea, bad idea. <laughs> the Toronto Blue Jays are not allowed to play baseball in Canada. Basically, Canada is not letting the Toronto Blue Jays play baseball games there. <laughs> good idea, bad idea. I mean, in all seriousness, good idea because if they're going to be playing there, who are they going to be playing against? They're going to be playing American teams and looking at how America's been dealing with the coronavirus, I, I feel them, you know? So why don't we all just stay in our own places? And if you guys want to decide to play an American, you know, baseball associate in the American Baseball Association, you know, go to America. Let me tell you something, Rob. If Canadians treated Americans the same way we treat Mexicans, man, we'd probably we'd probably be at war with them. Okay, I think it's a great idea. Okay, you got a country that that uh, had the same intention, flatten the curve, and that's what a lot of countries wanted to do. And I thought they did it right. I thought that um, I don't know the method and how they did it, but we can't argue with the results. The results are they're they're not. This, this epidemic has not hit them as hard as the United States of America and Brazil and other countries. And, and they'd like to keep it that way until, until we get our esh together. What do you, right? So, yeah, Rob, good idea, bad idea. Free Hong Kong, not allowed on NBA jersey. <laughs> I don't know if this is a one-minute topic. <laughs> Maybe you just take the whole minute. All right. All right. So I agree. I think this is a bad idea. I mean, I'm sorry. I think this is a good idea because uh, when it comes to international issues, I agree with uh, domestic issues uh, being handled in, uh, with domestic business or with domestic players, um, players that can actually have a connection with that. Um, and it affects American people on American soil. But once you're talking about an international issue where you're actually speaking about another country um, and you're speaking about it through a business, through a platform in America that in essence can transmit uh, you know, to another country and it could be you, you know, saying that you want to free Hong Kong and then it's the NBA saying you want to free Hong Kong and then it's America and NBA want to say free Hong Kong. It's just gets into real muddy water, and I don't think it's something that is good for business in, in, in the NBA's um, in the NBA stance. So yeah. sorry to take a little longer, but I just no, I don't that, think that one deserves idea. a whole minute. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I definitely think that it's um, a good thing that we can have the option to have different messages as opposed to just a name on a jersey. Right. Well, 
I think um, it's a bad a bad idea in a sense because if you are going to do the social justice thing, you got to do it all the way. All right? Does it mess with people's bottom line? Of course, it's going to mess with people's bottom line. Uh, a lot of people vilified LeBron James for not speaking up more on this, but at the end of the day, LeBron James is a businessman, and sometimes you have to pick your shots. You have to pick things where you think you can have cause cause the most effect and change, and and then you have to leave alone the things where you don't you don't have a shot in hell at dealing with. Okay? Um, Ice Cube once said, "You want to free Africa? I stare at you because we." got it too good in America okay LeBron James has uh, has concentrated on things that he can control the whole China thing he can't control and it's only going to result in, in, in bad business for the NBA who by the way are, are his employers okay he's not self-employed as powerful as he is so um, I, th- this is the the, the, uh, the slippery slope we, we we land ourselves in Rob because we decide with the where the players decide they want to have the NBA jerseys you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you, you, now now we got to deal with the blowback of having this slippery slope. So, oh, but I say bad idea because if you if you, you got all that other stuff, you gotta let you gotta let this one in too. I mean because it's if if it's indeed a, not a political thing, if it's indeed like a humanitarian thing, like everybody claims it is, maybe Hong Kong's and maybe maybe that's maybe that's that's a voice that needs to be heard in that perspective as well. Yeah, I just think then, uh, you know, I just don't think there's a – I know for the NBA there's a really big issue there, you know. So I'm not saying it's not right, and I'm not saying if, you know, people – like there's Chinese players or Asian players that want them to have free Hong Kong there. I understand that, but it's not something that can really be affected through this country. But, again – you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's the yeah. you know that's the right issue. I don't necessarily know why they wouldn't want to have that, but that would make sense to me. Why it's you know it's an international issue and it's something that can't be handled with a domestic uh, no you know difference. Yeah. So yeah, we. I mean, I'm, I'm, trust me. There's no more not a not a bigger GI Joe than myself. Okay, I am a GI Joe. I'm a, I certain I'm a Gulf War vet. I'm I'm always trying to. Um, you know, the reason why a lot of people even join the army is because you want to you want to defend and help people that can't help themselves. But but they're they're just entirely too many moving parts. We don't even know who the good guys or bad guys here are. You right. know. Um, all right. So our next section that concludes good idea, bad idea. We we cut that short because I want to see if we can etch this this thing we got going every week. This section is called "We Recommend Sports Movie of the Week." Um, allow me to go first on this, Rob. Sure. All right. My sh- sports movie of the week, and I'm just gonna put it up. I think I have it right here, or is it up here? Let's see. It's called Pride. Pride is with Terrence Howard and with Bernie Mac. In 1974, life is not easy for a black man to find employment. So a college-educated Jim Ellis, that's uh, uh, Terrence Howard's character, um, was trying to find a job at a private school. And when he didn't get the job at the private school, he was a math teacher. He decided to utilize his time and take this recreation center in Philadelphia in one of the roughest neighborhoods in Philadelphia um, and take this recreation center and actually, let's just say, fix up and reinvent this swimming pool. And now that he got the swimming pool, 
he wanted to have a swimming team and and recruiting uh black swimmers and in, in a basket and pretty much basketball or like a big three big three um territory football basketball basketball baseball was a difficult challenge and i think as a volleyball coach and as a player a uh, former player myself and just just trying to influence people of of all of, of all colors but specifically african-american players um to play a sport that's not that's not African American heavy, I thought was was inspiring. It's based on a true story, loose, loosely based on a true story. Bernie Mac, the God rest his soul, the late great Bernie Mac is hilarious. Terrence Howard is Terrence Howard, and um, and um, on our on our scale is like is, uh, on a scale of like zero to four stars, or should I say McKibben beards? I give this this movie three McKibben beards. What's your movie, Rob? So my movie is uh, The Natural, uh, Robert Redford. I, think, cool. I don't even know what movie it is, um, but it's Robert one of my Redford. all-time favorites. Uh, I think it's like early 80s. Yeah. Early I'm going to put it up for us. We could just talk um, about it. But yeah, it's uh, one of my all-time favorites. It's uh, you know, a young, a young uh, baseball player, uh, meets Babe Ruth, you know, gets to know... Um, you know, it's just a, a really talented, uh, natural player, you know, gets injured, you know, gets older, heads back to the league. And then, you know, she's if he still has the talent and, you know, is better than everybody in like a triple A league, um, you know, gets moved up to the majors. It's just a great little story about, you know, perseverance and um, how, you know, over over time, you know, your mind deteriorates, your body deteriorates, but you know, what you're, what you're gifted at, you know, what you're born to do is just, it'll always be there, you know, and you just need to understand how to, uh, share the gift, um, whether it is physically or, you know, metaphysically, you know, giving to other people, you know, giving to other players, giving confidence to other players and not just being confident in yourself, you know, just, there's so many things, uh, unspoken, I feel like in that movie, it's just an amazing sport movie. So, for me, I mean, that's one of my all-time favorite movies. So that's definitely a four McKibben beards. So that's easy. Yeah, the natural man, four McKibben beards, four case beer mustaches, four stars. I really like that movie, and I really love me some. Yeah, ah, <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Um, all right, hey, we're about to wrap up here. That this concludes our episode. But before we go, I wanted to say. Uh, allow me one 60 whole seconds. I want to give a shout out to someone that's very special to me, uh, a close friend of mine that I'm, and I'm going to mention him again on the option podcast. I most like, I think I probably got Dane Blanton coming up this week or early next week, but, and, and I wanted, I wanted to mention him twice. Um, I have a friend I want to talk about a big up to a man, Jean Escoboza. My friends call him Eugene. He's from Dominican Republic. He's from Mocha. Um, Big uh, player, at City, middle blocker at City Tech and played uh, a little bit for Balmeso, who won nationals in 2004 and 2005. Eugene and I, when I was in college, um, Rob McLean, when I was in college, Eugene and I spent a summer uh, playing small grass court tournaments because in order for me to graduate on time, in order for me to expedite my degree because I was a returning adult student, we were hoping we can win some money, some first and second place prizes, and I can use that money to pay for summer school. So because the, if I got basically six credits or three credits for summer school, my junior and senior year would be really easy. And, and as someone who was working full time at that time, um, it was very difficult for me to full time, be a full time student, full time, full time uh, worker. So I wanted to make sure my senior year, I only had to have six credits or nine credits or whatever. So 
for a two-year time span, we were picking tournaments that weren't big. If the Pottstown Rumble was happening, we'd go to Connecticut and clean up. Pottstown Rumble's $3,000? Fine. We'd go to Connecticut. It's $500 first prize. Any, anyone that even had a chance of beating us was at Pottstown Rumble. Right, we um, if there was a, a Haskell racetrack, yeah, yeah, Jeff Schitzel did. Yeah, we did, we did, and Jeff Schitzel, um, I made money with him playing uh, uh, Beach Fours in Lake George, so and Eugene was on the fours team with me. I I, I was two time winners there, uh, and um, so here's the thing. Basically, let's just say I'm not gonna get numbers. Let's just say that we had to split the prize money, in two and half, and if we split in two, I wouldn't have enough money to pay for my school. So what Eugene does one night, we're in a bar, we're having a drink, and he gives, me, he gives me an envelope, and he says, here, go to school. Here's my half. Now, Eugene, I live in the South Bay, and we live, in a, we live around a bunch of people who are living the dream. You know what I'm saying? Two grand, three grand, I mean, they throw it out like nothing. I mean, maybe some of y'all even have a fireplace, and you use it to keep the wood, the, the wood hot. Um, <clears throat> Eugene is from the Bronx, New York. A Dominican immigrant from the Bronx, New York. Check to check. Mom, mom, you know, mom have, having to have benefits. Got two brothers in the house. The man, in essence, did not have money. And at the time, a wife, had a wife that would strongly object to just giving up all the money that he earned. This man gave me his half of the money so I can go to summer school and get my, my degree in theater performance. All right? So for everybody that, that wants to know the kind of person that I like to have as my friend, or the kind of people that I associate with. I have a large circle of friends, a circulation of friends, but my circle of friends is mad tight. So you look at someone, just like the movie Avengers, oh, a billionaire, entrepreneur, playboy. Captain America said, you know, I, have, I know people that are none of those things worth 10 of you. That's the person I'm talking about, Rob McLean. That person I'm talking about right now is Jean Escoboza. Shout out. Yeah, Big E, man. Gotta love him. I mean, what's crazy is I've, I've only met uh, uh, Eugene like a couple times, and, you know, he's always treated me like family and only made me get, like, want to be that much closer to him. And you, you never know? forget him. No. Personality-wise, you're like, I remember that dude. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, glow, glowing personality, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I just, I think, again, it's like, and I, I, it's funny, not to not to break off here, but we'll, we can finish off this. It's no. like... California is so beautiful, and I went to school here. Like I, I understand it, but I, I was also born and raised in New York. And you know how it is. You know, winter time. You know, we. I only came out here to California uh, a couple times before I came out here for school um, for junior volleyball. You know, and you come out here. You know, during the summertime, or even during you know Christmas time, it's still beautiful. Um, and you know, you live in the dream because you don't have. You, there's no reason to move. You know, you're not gonna. <laughs> You know, go leave somewhere, and even if you do go leave, you go to college. You realize it's colder there at least three months of the sometime sometime of the year, and you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go back home. I get home cooked meals." Like for me, if I go home to home cooked meals, I gotta go suffer for six months of you know winter, you know, or the other six months is gonna be scorching hot summer, you know. In here in California, it's like, oh great, it's another 73 degree day. Oh, it's 66 today. Oh no, like. There's barely 10 degree difference, you know, even at the winter, it's like 50 degrees. So I understand the need to not travel. But on the other end, when I have traveled and understood and respected other cultures that I didn't understand or I didn't even know about before, there, you know, you grow as a person. You understand that um, 
the things that can't really be explained are not things to be feared. They're just things to be learned. And um, I think that the like people in this area, as much as they have traveled to hotels and been on glamorous, beautiful vacations, traveling and understanding a culture and getting to meet people and to live in an area where you haven't been before and to be there for a long time and to struggle in a place like that is different, you know, and just seeing different types of people and understanding that there's all different types of people of colors and types and every type of person that can struggle or can succeed. It's just about the type of character that person is. Then we start to see change. Then we start to see different people. That's why America in America, Chicago, uh, Miami, um, uh, New York city for sure. They're all major hubs, but they all are very diverse. You go to LA Downtown LA is a lot different than most other parts of California. Yes. You know, there's a, there's a big difference. You want to say, and the big difference is the diversity is not what is diverse across all of America. You know, there's a lot of different type of diversity in, in LA. So yeah. again, I know a lot of people on the West coast that could travel to Asia. I've never been to Asia, but I know I've traveled someplace and I know that someplace has given me an understanding of different culture. God bless. So, um, yep. yeah, I think around here, people just have to widen yeah. their experience of different things and mm-hmm. uh, bring back their experience and bring back their knowledge and bring back their, uh, yeah. you know, their growth. You know, yeah. And, and and the cool thing that makes this story cool is that um, like even the person that doesn't have to worry about paying for college. Even the person, you know, that didn't have to take out loans, maybe they got a scholarship or maybe, you know, maybe they, they're just in a situation where they're, fi- where they're financially, um, where it's financially convenient, you know. Um, and I don't crap on those people either. I don't, I don't hate the rich. Actually, I like the rich. I, I, I wish everybody was rich. Uh, um, no, but even the people that don't understand this story, and this, uh, um, they appreciate it. They're like, wait a second, that's really real. And that's, and that's how I wanted to end. This brother's really real, man. All right. Yeah. And that's how we're going to end. All right. This episode, this episode 26. Yo, man, Rob's been real, man. We, 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 we up and down all kinds of colors, man. G- got to cover our wheelhouse. And the crazy thing is the UFC had two events. We didn't even cover that. <laughs> we could just say Figueroa is a problem. <laughs> and we could say Calvin Qatar is a problem. <laughs> hey, and Dan Inge, though. Dan Inge is a problem. Oof. Ooh, hey, give him a couple more fights. Give him a couple more fights, and he's gonna be looking real clean on yes. his feet. It's too they bad those two had to run into oh, each other. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But Calvin Guitar, you know, let's just say, uh, watch out for Calvin Guitar. But his nose better also watch out. So we can yeah. just stop that right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that I honestly, I think that I think that altered Robbie, um, Rob McDonald's, uh, uh, Rory McDonald's career. Rory McDonald, you know, man. I with Robbie that. Lawler. You never, you don't really hear about him no more. He's just, he's Jesus. in Asia somewhere fighting in K1 or something. No, he's a Bellator. Oh, and, Bell- and both. K- you're yeah, right. He's, wow. He's wow, 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 wow. Yep. All right. Hey, we're wrapping up. Hey, for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad, uh, watching this right now, for all of you uh, at our restaurant, on your iPhones, waiting to get a seat, outdoor I prefer, for all of you on your desktop who runs the world, old school, old school. For Rob, keep it McLean, McLean. I am Jason DeBeas, and I speak for both of us when I say, we're out. Hit my music.
Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Angel. You're going to love what you hear.